Well, welcome back one more time to our final message in this series, Lord, Uncatchable. And what we've been seeing in this series has a lot to do with fishing. Any good fisherman will tell you that not all lures are created equally and that you need to have different lures if you want to catch different fish. Now, I'm not going to stand here and pretend that I am any sort of master angler, but I do think I know enough to know that as great as a worm on a hook may be for some fish, it's not going to catch every single fish that you want. See, any, any bass pro, any master angler will be able to, to know exactly what lure to use for what fish, not just because he knows his lures, but because he knows his enemy, he knows the fish. See, one fish may go for this, but one fish may go to that, and a master fisherman knows exactly what lure to use for what fish because he knows what his fish like and don't like. Knowing the fish, knowing their interests, knowing their likes, knowing their weaknesses, if you will, can make all the difference between having a great day out on the water and coming home without a catch. And if there's anything that we've seen over the series, it's that our enemy, the devil, is quite the master fisherman. He's the master of lures, really. Because he knows you, his enemy. He knows exactly what your weaknesses are. So he knows exactly what bait, what lure to throw out, to dangle in front of you that makes it look so tantalizing, so desirable, so pleasing to the eye, to make you bite, to take the bait and reel you into sin. He knows that. But more than that, he also knows that what works for you might not work for her. And it might not work on him. So he's constantly and methodically changing out his lures and tailor-making his approach to exactly what you are weakest against. And if that's the way the devil operates, and we would have to admit, and in fact we already did admit in our confession, right, that, that we constantly, every single day, continue to take the bait Continue to, to chase after those lures, to fall into that temptation, to, to succumb to sin. What chance do we have? You know, what chance do we, fish that are such easy prey for, for Satan, what, what chance do we have in standing up to his temptation? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the hope that we have as we look at this Palm Sunday. This day when Jesus himself rode into Jerusalem to shouts that you just heard it a couple moments ago. Hosanna, which means Lord, save us. People crying out to this Jesus, Lord, save us. And that's exactly what he came into Jerusalem to do during this holy week. He appeared to destroy the devil's work. The spotlight was on him on that Palm Sunday, and that's what we're going to do today on this Palm Sunday. We're going to put the spotlight specifically and only right on Jesus to see just how he destroyed that work and to see how he goes head-to-head against this master of lures in a winner-take-all battle for really the ages for the whole world. So, if you've got a Bible in your hands or if you've got it on another electronic device or if you just like to follow along as you listen today, As I read earlier, we're in Luke chapter 4, and here's what verses 1 and 2 say. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Jesus, before he calls any of his disciples, before he does any preaching, teaching, performing any miracles, it seems, the first thing that God did was lead him into the wilderness to go toe-to-toe with the greatest enemy, Satan. And if you would think about this as like a heavyweight boxing match, the, the title championship belt of the world, the story going into this title match would be Jesus conditioning. 40 days without food. Uh, just imagine what that would do to you physically. You know, 40 days without food. Uh, we're told that the, the human brain is about 2 to 3% of your overall body mass. And yet, just that little small thing compared to your whole body, science also tells us that it can consume anywhere from a third to a half of all of the energy that you intake into your body. So that means that cutting off the source of energy, food, from your body, your body starts to resort to finding energy in other ways. It goes after your fat reserves, and then once that's pretty much depleted, it doesn't take long for it to attack your muscles, to turn your muscles into energy so the brain can function. And so your body is literally eating itself, wasting away. And if that's not bad enough physically, mentally, it takes its toll. The mental stress that your, that your brain uh, starts to succumb to is, is incredible. These piercing, horrible headaches. It, it's so difficult to concentrate on even the simplest of tasks. There's been reports of even hallucinations. Your, your mind goes into this mental fog, and it's this state, this weakened state, that Jesus enters into the ring with his greatest enemy, with our greatest enemy, the devil, and the devil comes out swinging right away. The devil says in, uh, said to him, verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Round one. Jesus, make some bread. I mean, you, you are the Son of God, right? But just look at yourself. You, you are literally wasting away, Jesus. So, so come on, look at all these stones. Why don't you just make some bread? Why don't Jesus, why don't you make a nice loaf of Mother Mary's country home cooking bread? And if you've ever been on a diet, you know how tempting it is when someone puts like a donut in front of you or a nice piece of chocolate cake and, oh, that's what we say, right? Oh, that's so tempting. I know I shouldn't, right? Or, or maybe when you're just driving by and you see a cheeseburger on a billboard sign or you drive by your favorite fast food restaurant and then suddenly you smell the French fries cooking in the air. And that sometimes is enough for us to do like a U-turn and pull right into the drive through Right? You can imagine how tempting this would be for Jesus. But I guess the, the bigger deal is, what is the big deal? Like, like why, why can't Jesus make some food? Do you know of any Bible passages that says, thou shalt not make bread? <laughs> I mean, give Jesus a little while and he's going to perform a couple miracles in which he's going to make a lot 
of bread for a lot of hungry people from nothing. So what's the big deal here? Why not, why, why is this such a problem? Jesus, why not make and eat? And maybe that's what's so dangerous and so subtle about this temptation. This is a temptation that actually got an entire nation to fall into sin. Jesus' own ancestors back in the days of, of Moses. And actually Moses talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses said, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands? He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, what Moses was doing was reminding the Israelites, do you see why God did this? God led you out here to test you. To test what was in your hearts so that when your hearts started, when your stomachs started to rumble and get hungry, how are you going to respond to God? Are you going to continue to trust? To put your faith in him, this God who not only led you out of Egypt, not only parted the Red Sea, but squashed an entire Egyptian army that was right on your backsides the whole time. Not only did he do that, but he's led you up to this point. Are you going to continue to trust that this God has a plan, that he knows what he's doing, or are you going to get hangry at God? And are you going to, to question and to doubt his goodness? Are you going to grumble in your hearts against him? In fact, this was the very same temptation, the one that Jesus is putting in front of, uh, Satan is putting in front of Jesus. This is the very same temptation that he used to get Adam and Eve to fall into sin. Question God's goodness. No, God, God's holding out on you. God doesn't have your best interests in mind. No, actually, he's withholding some blessings from you. Has Satan ever hooked you with this temptation? Has this uh, jab ever landed in your fight with him? You know, I think especially in the times that we're in, the unprecedented times of social isolation, being quarantined, locked in your house, coronavirus, I think especially how this temptation may just get you. Because maybe you were ready for a couple weeks of isolation. You were told, okay, I can handle a couple weeks just staying in at home. But then the word came out this last week, didn't it? All the way to the end of this next month. And maybe you're saying, how much more of this can I take? You know, what, what about graduation? What about the sports season? Simply put, what about just seeing another friend of mine face to face? How, what about interacting with them? What about, what about vacations? What about all of my plans that I want to have, I want to make, the family things, but I can't do them? What, what about that? Or, or maybe for some of you, you're saying, what about my job? Maybe I'm employed now, but with the shutdown going, the, the, the isolation going even longer, will I stay employed? What if I don't get it? stay employed. And some of you are saying, what about me? I'm already unemployed. And, and God is telling me I need to be generous to him 
and provide for my family and still somehow take care of all the things that are coming in, take care of all the bills while the income has stopped, but the bills certainly haven't. How am I supposed to do all that? It's, it's not adding up. And when you can't see God's plan and his agenda laid out for you, when you have no idea, is this going to last more weeks? Is it possibly going to last even a couple months? When you can't see God's plan, do, do you doubt? Do you start to grumble if not directly against God, indirectly in what he's allowing to happen? Do you start to question his goodness? So maybe Satan's gotten you with that jab before, but Jesus dodged it and then countered with his own punch. And look what Jesus said. He said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. That's so good. He says, Satan, I, I don't live on bread alone, but I live on my father's promises. And my father has promised to take care of me during this time. My father has a plan for this. And so I'm going to trust. And I'm going to put my hope in that plan. I'm going to put my hope in his promises to take care of me, however that may be, because he's given me no reason to doubt, no reason to think that he is unfaithful. And before you know it, the bell goes off and round one goes to Jesus. But Satan is quick to come out of the corner in round two and look at his next temptation. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, you may honestly be looking at this and say, hold on, so Satan's temptation is to get Jesus, the Son of God, to worship his archenemy, the devil, right? Like, like, you might be thinking, okay, Satan, I thought you were supposed to be a little more cunning and crafty than that, but don't miss the huge temptation here. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God, the Almighty third or second person of the trinity right he is and yes jesus has come he's humbled himself he set aside his power and he's going to go back to the father to sit at his right hand and rule over all things but before he does that he has to complete his mission and that mission is to suffer and die for the sins of the whole world on the cross and what satan is offering jesus is an easy way out because what he's essentially saying here is Jesus, the cross, the physical suffering, the spiritual agony, the hell, the rejection and abandonment by your father is a pain unimaginable. But what if you could skip it? Jesus, what if you could have all the glory and not have to go through the cross. Pretty tempting, isn't it? And maybe you know from firsthand experience. Because maybe Satan has gotten you with this tactic too. For the short-term pleasure, at the expense of just compromising your faith, the guise 
will fond over you. The women will chase after you. Just, you know, compromise your Christian values. Give up your purity for a night. And the boss is going to love you. You're going to climb higher and you're going to climb faster than anyone else. Just give up some honesty. Compromise your integrity. That short-term pleasure that you want, that, that bit of happiness, that desire in your heart, it can be yours. Just give up God's will for your life right here. Don't give up God forever, just, just right here. See, we, we take shortcuts all the time, don't we? You know, here's God's plan for us, but then Satan dangles maybe this short-term pleasure over here, and so, okay, well, I'll just shortcut all the way over to it at the expense of my God. And short-term pleasures, though they seem good, I'm reminded, of, I'm reminded of what one pastor always told his congregation. He had this equation, STP equals LTP. Short-term pleasure equals long-term pain. And that is so good. Because it's so true, especially in this moment, if, if Jesus takes the bait, that... That is so true for all of us. We're in long-term problems. But Jesus was not going to be fooled. He said, look at what he says next. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He says, Satan, my life does not revolve around me. My life revolves around God. And I'm going to worship him with my whole life, with my whole strength, with my whole soul, my whole being. I'm going to put his will at the center of my life. And however long I may have to wait, his blessings are going to far outweigh any sort of shortcut and short-term promises that you could think you could offer me. I'm not taking the bait. And so with two losing rounds under Satan's belt, he starts to see Jesus' tactic. It is written. You know, twice, Jesus has dismantled Satan's arguments using what God's word is. So on round three, Satan decides, I'm going to beat Jesus at his own game. And look at what he says. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He says, Jesus, you're not the only one who knows God's word. I know God's word too. And it says, he will catch you. So jump. Take a leap of faith, if you will, because God's word says it'll catch you. Watch as, as God sends some angels to come swooping in, pick you up at the last second. You, you won't. You got nothing to worry about. And on top of that, Jesus, do it and you will prove me wrong. You will prove yourself right. You'll win. I'll lose and I'll have to go home. And it's one of Satan's favorite tactics. Twist scripture out of its context so that it says something that's false. And I'll bet you know what I'm talking about. You know, God's word says 
There is no sin that is too great, that is too big, that he cannot forgive. So why not go out and party? Or maybe we should say in these days and age, why not stay inside and indulge? Why not go ahead and sin and then wake up tomorrow and, hey, you're forgiven, right? That's what God's word says. And you know, God's word says, the prayer of a righteous person, it is powerful, it is effective. So why not pray to God to fix your relationship by fixing that other person? Why not pray to God to fix that other person and don't worry about putting any effort in about you, yourself, and humbling yourself. And No, 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 no. No, God, you fix that person and I'm sure he'll fix your relationship without any work uh, of you fixing yourself, right? You don't need to do anything. God is going to take care of it all. And, and you know, God's word, it says that you're saved by faith alone, right? Like you are saved not by anything that you do, not by your works. You can't earn God's love. No, instead, he freely and fully forgives all your sins. It's by grace alone through faith in him, right? That's what God's word says. That's how you're saved. So as long as I believe that, it doesn't matter how far away and how long it is that I've been distant from God. You know, I can, I can be away from him for weeks, months. I can be away from him for years, but hey, as long as I know in my head who Jesus is, I'm good, right? Satan has gotten billions of Christians with this lie over thousands of years. But he was not going to get Jesus. Because look instead what Jesus said. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Like even in this mental fog, even in this moment of weakness, Jesus proves that he doesn't just know some scripture, he knows all of it. And he says, God's word says, do not test me. Do not put me to the test. Do not reduce me to some sort of good luck charm. And Jesus said, I'm not going to. And after three losing rounds, the devil throws in the towel and walks away. And I suppose this is the part of our message that we could talk about how you can get better at resisting temptation. We could talk about the secrets of, of avoiding temptation, of avoiding these lures, right? We could talk uh, all the days that we want to about how it is that you and I cannot just say no to temptation because it's not just about saying no to it, but it's about recognizing those lures. Identifying Lucifer's lures and dismantling the devil's deceits with God's word. Just as Jesus did, right? Because it's only by God's word that can overcome any temptation that it, it, that, that's facing you. And there'd be a lot of wisdom in doing that. You know, if we wanted to, we could extend this sermon series of, of looking at Satan's lures and temptations for weeks, for more and more months. But I think there's a bigger idea in this lesson. And I think the bigger idea in this particular lesson with Jesus and the devil is that it's not, it's not about your fight. 
but it's about Jesus. It's not about you and your battle with temptation. It's about Jesus and his fight with temptation and the devil. Because you see, the, the truth is, like it or not, you and I are going to keep on sinning. This side of heaven, Satan is never going to stop throwing out his lures in front of you. And you and I, I pray that we grow wiser, grow closer to our God, grow in the amount of, of God's word that we consume so we can, we can take it in, we can identify those lures, we can say no, but still, I don't think any of us are fooled enough to think we'll stop sinning. And because of that, because we, you and I keep taking the bait, that's why Jesus had to go toe-to-toe with Satan. That's why Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. And on this Palm Sunday, when Jesus walked in, rode into Jerusalem to shouts of, Hosanna, Lord, save us, that's exactly what he came to do. This story is about how Satan, who has knocked out billions of people throughout all the the world's history, took that undefeated record against Jesus. And the only person who walked out of that match with an undefeated record was Jesus. And he took that undefeated record on Palm Sunday and he carried it all the way to Good Friday, whereas he hung there on the cross He let spill his perfect holy blood over all of your sins, all the times that you and I fall into those temptations, take the bait, snag the lures, so that when God looks at you, God would not see someone who fell for the same sin again and again and again. God would not see someone who... You fell for the same old lore for the umpteenth time. What's wrong with you? God would not see you with a losing record. But instead, he would see you with a perfect record. Jesus' perfect record given to you, shed for you. That's what this is about. Jesus' victory being your victory. Jesus' record being your record. So that the next time you do fall and you will fall into temptation, the next time you get hooked, you get lured away. And Satan whispers to you, look at you. How could you? How could God love you? that you would be able to get yourself off the mat and you would be able to go right back to him and say, yeah, you beat me. And yeah, I got a losing record against you, Satan. But guess what? My God, my Jesus crushed you. You threw your best at him and your best couldn't even land one punch. He destroyed you. And because he destroyed you, I destroy you. Because he wins, I have already won the battle against you.